Hi, this is Alyssa McNamara-Reed, and I will be your host for the next two hours. Allow me to introduce myself. I am a certified financial planner practitioner and an investment advisor. I am co-owner of McNamara Financial Services, Inc. in Marshfield, Massachusetts. McNamara Financial is a federally registered investment advisor, and by my definition anyway, is a true family business. We work with clients like you every day, regular people that need help making sound financial decisions or people that want one less thing to worry about. I work with clients for a fee based on assets that I manage or an hourly or flat fee for creating financial plans. I am not compensated via commissions unless I have the pleasure of helping someone with their insurance needs. There are some things worth paying for and perhaps a lifetime of financial security is one of them. I of course cannot guarantee that working with me will ensure a secure financial future. McNamara on Money has been a call-in talk radio show since 1990. I love hearing from listeners and there truly are no dumb questions. In fact, I like the simple questions because everyone should have the answer to those. Just don't call me asking for the next hot investment or which market is going to outperform this year. Number one, that's not the nature of this show. And number two, I have no idea. Any advice I give to a caller is meant to be generic in nature and should be verified with his or her own financial professionals. You will hear about a variety of topics on this show that relate to investments and personal finance. We try to cover topics that people can relate to regardless of their net worth or financial situation. And of course, we try to keep it interesting. I would crunch numbers for two hours or spreadsheet cash flows because I'm a total math nerd, but that wouldn't much make for good radio. Instead, I choose to educate people on topics surrounding big financial events in life, like marriage and divorce, kids in college, death of a loved one, career changes, and of course, retirement. I once heard that it is a smart man that knows what he doesn't know. I'm sure it was my dad that said that, and I'm also sure that it applies to women. That is why I invite guests onto my show that have expertise in different areas also related to personal finance. I feel it's important to note that the opinions of these professionals are not necessarily the opinions of McNamara Financial or any of its advisors. As long as we are on the subject of disclosure, I should note that while we may discuss investments and or markets on this show, that past performance is not indicative of future results. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to McNamara Financial, the South Shore's very own financial talk radio show. Uh, today we are talking about 401ks. And actually, I had a question during the break about perhaps the difference between 401ks and 403bs. So if you're just joining us or maybe not paying attention at all, uh, they are basically the same uh, for all intents and purposes. Uh, typically, a 403b is associated with a nonprofit uh, or a government um, position. Uh, whereas a 401k is, you, you know, associated with a corporation or a for-profit uh, corporation uh, company. Um, the other main thing is that 403bs typically do not have employer matches, uh, whereas that is more common in 401ks. There are some other caveats, but um, for the most part, they are pretty similar. Um, and one other thing, you know, to mention on that on that line is, you know, perhaps you work for multiple companies. You know, maybe one has a four hundred three b and one has a four hundred one k. They they have they share the cap, so you cannot you know max out both of them. Uh, you have to be cognizant of you know still hitting the same cap applies across the boat uh, the two of them. So if it's you know nineteen five if you're 50, under fifty, uh, nineteen five is at the max between the two combined contributions, and I think that that. You know, for the most part, that kind of covers that. Same thing for 401ks. Maybe you work for two companies and they each offer a 401k. Uh, you cannot max out both of them. Uh, you can only have a total combined max. And one other thing I thought of when we talk about what the maximum contribution is, you know, if, say it's 19500 
that does not count for the employer match. So the right. employer match is on top of that. So, you know, I think that's not always um, clear. Um, so, you know, you, the individual, can put in 19500 You know, the match is above and beyond that. And, you know, whatever that total is, is kind of irrelevant, uh, you know, from a, you know, from an IRS standpoint. 403B is also, because they're for nonprofits, they don't have, like, you can't have a profit sharing component in a 403B like you can have in a 401k, you know, where some 401ks have profit sharing where at the end of the year, whatever, the employer might add an additional chunk of money to your 401k as a profit share. Um, that's great if your employer offers that in, in addition to the match, or even if it replaces a match, if it's sometimes it's more beneficial than a match. But 403Bs don't have that just because 403Bs are for nonprofits. So there's no profit sharing. Um, and because most 403Bs don't have a matching component. They also don't have like the same record keeping that 401ks have to go through. Um, so it's, you know, they're not as costly for, because they're for nonprofits, they just don't have that extra layer of cost because there's not the same matching component and discrimination that, you know, testing that 401ks have to go through. So, and for whatever reason, and I, and I meant to look into it this morning, but I got sidetracked for whatever reason, many 403 many bs tend to be held that insurance companies. Insurance companies seem to have like the 403B market cornered. I think that's just, I don't think there's really a reason for that other than insurance companies have been good at, you know, at, at, at obtaining 403B plans. Um, so like many times, you know, I'll be helping a teacher or something and, you know, they have some choices regarding where they can hold their 403B. Um, and, and like, I swear it's like 80 or 90% of, of the choices are in insurance companies. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think that is true that there are, um, perhaps, yeah, they more associated with, yeah, those types of firms. Um, if that's just, you know, a trend or that's just, you know, the way it's kind of happened or, um, but yeah, that's, I, I would agree with that. Well, tax 403Bs, I think, used to be called tax-sheltered annuities. Yeah, I think I think you still see that term. Yeah, uh, you do. On, yeah. on statements, it might say 403B slash yeah. TSA or, or it might yeah. say TSA, yeah. Annuities being held at insurance companies. Right. All right, so do you want to get in, should we talk about um, the Roth component, Roth contributions in a 401k, or do you have anything else to add to, we were talking about matching before the break, and maybe just, let, let's just like sum that up by saying if you're going to be... <clears throat> Mac, if you are maxing your 401k, if you're able to do that, you're fortunate enough to be able to do that. And you want to, if, if either you're on schedule to, or you want to be maxing out early in the year, in other words, before your final paycheck, worth double checking with your plan provider. If you do max out early, if, if you are foregoing any employer match, in other words, is your employer matching monthly or annual? If you're maxing out early, you're going to want the answer to be annual so that you, you, there's like that true up, you know, at the end of the year where for the whatever weeks or months you didn't receive that match that you want it to be trued up and you want an additional contribution at the end of the year. Yeah. And I guess, um, you know, my understanding is that some 401ks will only do the match as a one, like a lump sum, like at the end of the year, uh, as opposed to along the way. Oh, is that right? Oh, Uh, okay. Yeah. yeah. I guess I've seen that. Sometimes. And so, I mean, and so my understanding is that that if you're in a plan that does that, then, then that's fine if you max yeah. out early because they're, you know, they'll, they'll, they will see that and they'll just drop it in all as one. So, right. so if you're in that situation, you can max out early and there's no worries yeah. as far as the match. Yeah. How about talking about 
Can can I start talking about Roth now? You know, I get really excited. I might need like a lot of time to talk about I'm su- this. I'm surprised we made it this far. I know. There is a lot more on the outline, but I do want to spend some time on um, just letting people know that some 401ks, and apparently, though I think I've only seen one in my career, but some 403Bs. Correct. Allow employees to make Roth contributions. So normal 401k and 403b contributions are deductible. We would call that like a traditional 401k, 403b. Um, traditional meeting, you, you t- they're deductible. You shrink your taxable income dollar for dollar. Um, in that year, uh, growth is tax deferred, but you pay your taxes in retirement $1 come out of the retirement plan. Roth is just the exact opposite where Roth contributions, whether it's to a Roth 401k or a Roth IRA, Roth contributions, you don't receive a tax deduction in current year. So you report that as taxable income. Even if you put 19,500 bucks in a Roth 401k, you pay taxes on that money in the year of the contribution. But the beauty of Roths is that all of the dollars come out tax-free in retirement. So yes, you paid taxes on the dollars. So obviously your capital would come out, capital meaning your contributions you put in, obviously that would come out tax-free later. You only pay taxes once, but all the growth, not guaranteed, but you know, hypothetically speaking over a very long period of time, there could be some quite substantial growth in a Roth, for example, depending on how it's invested. Um, but all the growth, if any, I should say, uh, in a Roth comes out tax-free under current law. I get nervous that sometimes that law is going to go away, but under current law. Um, so those are, those are wonderful in my opinion, especially for someone who has a long period of time before they anticipate taking the dollars out. I mean, if you put you know, money in this year and you're going to take it out of the Roth next year, you're not benefiting much from that because growth in a short period of time wouldn't be as substantial likely as growth over a long period of time, investment growth. I mean, not all four, again, not all 401ks allow for Roth contributions. That's employer discretion. I do feel like they have become more popular. I, I, I think that actually like, you know, for, for higher income earners that I work with executives, et cetera, sometimes there, even if they might be in a high tax bracket, I think sometimes there are good reasons for highly compensated people to actually take advantage advantage of the Roth. So if you think about business owners, et cetera, like the people that are making the decisions or the executives the people that are making decisions to set up uh, the, the 401k plans at a particular company, there's actually potentially good reason for them to offer Roth contributions in their 401k plan because they might want to take advantage of it. Oh, how much time do we have? I could just keep going on, but let me just, let me just talk about <laughs> tax brackets here for a minute. Um, because that plays into the discussion whether or not making Roth contributions is 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 in your best interest. So generally speaking, you want to take tax deductions when you're in a high tax bracket or if and when you're in a high tax bracket, you want to take deductions. And if and when you're in a low tax bracket, you want to realize income and, and pay you want to pay your taxes while you're in your low bracket. Again, if there's differentials in brackets. So if you think about someone who's, you know, an executive, for example, a high income earner, 55 years old, for example, might be in a high tax bracket now and maybe in retirement, a lower tax bracket. So if you think about it just real quickly, someone like that might want to take the tax deduction and make a traditional 
401k deductible contribution. And then in retirement, you know, they're taking money out of the the 401k and that's okay because they're paying taxes at a lower bracket. But I could also make the case for someone in a high, those people in the highest tax brackets now, which are the 30, I believe it's the 32 and the 35, and we we have a 37 now, right? 32, Mm -hmm. 35, 37? I think so, yeah. Um, Though I could actually make a case for those people to pay taxes now, because if you read at all about Biden's tax plan, those people in those higher tax brackets, those brackets are potentially even going higher. So might be a reason for people to get some money in now. Again, it's, you know, will, will their retirement tax bracket be lower? That depends on where their money's coming from, et cetera, et cetera. But I, I think there are some people in that camp where it would even make sense to make Roth contributions um, to a 401k, even if they're a higher income earner or, some, or maybe even split the contribution. But- yeah, so for, so for 2020, the highest tax bracket was 37%. And he's talking about bumping that to back to 39.6. So anyway, I mean, again, that's individualized advice, but you know, whether or not Roth versus deductible is appropriate for you is largely a tax bracket discussion. What is it? What's your bracket now? What will it be later? But that also, you know, how does the tax code move? We don't know that the tax code will move in the next 10, 20, 30, 40 years either. Right. So I happen to think it's going to move up from here in terms of the tax brackets and the amount of taxes people will pay in the future. Um, So I think it's a good idea. You know, we're in pretty low tax bracket territory now. Many people are, and I think it's probably a pretty good idea for people to get money into Roths, just banking on the fact that maybe tax brackets themselves for a lot of people go up in the future, um, middle to high income earners anyway. Yeah, so as far, you know, so traditionally um, to make a Roth, you know, IRA contribution, there are income limitations, right? So, you know, and, you know, if you wanted to make, just contribute, you know, a few thousand dollars or, you know, there, so there's a cap, right? So, um, we're not, I'm not talking about a 401k. I'm talking about a Roth IRA, um, where you just, you know, write a check to a, you know, an institution and, you know, and put it in there. So you can do up to $6,000 a year if you're under 50. Uh, if you're 50 or older, you can do up to $7,000. But in order to qualify, you have to be under a certain income. And let's see. So the rates these days are, let's see. So for like, for la- uh, let's see. For, so for this year, for 2021, uh, if you're a single person, uh, your modified adjusted gross income has to be under $140,000. So if you make, you know, so if you're single and your MAGI, modified adjusted gross income is $140,000 or more, you know, you cannot contribute to a Roth IRA. Uh, and for and just for you know for a joint couple uh, joint you know married couple filing filing jointly, uh, it's two hundred eight thousand. So if you're if you're if you make you know more than those amounts, you can't make a Roth contribution um, traditionally. You know outside of a four hundred one k. However, there is a different rule. You know if you have a Roth inside of a 401k, there are no income limitations. Uh, so basically, so if you have that Roth option inside of a 401k or a 403b, um, it doesn't matter how much money you make. Anybody can contribute to it. Um, so that is kind of an interesting uh, fact. And by interesting, you mean wonderful and amazing <laughs> and like totally something to be taken advantage of for people that... That want, that want to do that. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think that that's, yeah, that's great. Like I said, it's, you know, some, some of the, some higher income earners, 
have such discretionary amounts of money that they might not even much notice, you know, paying a little bit more in taxes in this year to get money into Roth. And especially if they're, you know, higher income earners that are relatively young, like think about like someone 50 or 52 or 55 years old that might not, you know, need the money from this account for 20 years. And that's a long, you know, the, the, the longer the period of time you have to invest, the better a Roth is going to look, in my opinion, compared to a deductible uh, retirement plan, like an IRA or a 401k, because the longer you have to invest, the likely the, the higher the amount of growth you'll see because we have this phenomenon of compounding earnings, right? So earnings on top of earnings on top of earnings on top of earnings. So the longer you have, so, so, so younger, higher income earners should, in my opinion, at least think really hard and take a really hard look at taking advantage of Roth contributions in the 401k if that's available to them. Yeah. And one, you know, one thing that, um, I know we have, you know, discussed with younger clients, you know, over, over the years is that, you know, if they don't have a Roth option inside of their 401k that, you know, perhaps they consider, you know, so if, if, if there is a match, if there's an employer match, you know, they should put in whatever they need to put in to qualify for the, you know, the maximum match from the employer. And then if they have additional funds that they want to save for retirement, you know, open a Roth outside of the 401k, assuming they qualify, you know, right. with the income, you know, if, if they're under those income limitations. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's, you know, that's a strategy that, you know, we have sometimes, you know, employed for folks. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Anything else on the Roth? I mean, I feel like I could talk about that, but there's um, things- Yeah. I mean, well, I, I had this down the road, you know, down the road uh, on the outline, but, you know, another thing is if, you know, if you're th- thinking about, you know, planning longer term, you know, the Roths, you know, a Roth IRA does not have required minimum distributions um, like a traditional IRA does. Right. And so if, you know, if you think, you know, down the road, if you, if you kind of do some projections about what your retirement might look like, and maybe, you know, if, if you have all this money in pre-tax investments, you know, they are going to have those imposed or those forced distributions, you know, when you reach age 72, you know, sometimes we look, you know, we do those for folks and they don't need all that money. And so, you know, they're, they're forced to take these distributions, you know, per the IRS and, you know, you have to pay taxes on it, right? If it's, if it's a pre-tax investment that could, you know, potentially push you up into a bracket, depending on how big your 401k is, you know, and, or, or whatever, what other, other sources of income you have, social security, pensions, et cetera. You know, so if you have money in, in a Roth, a Roth IRA is not subject to those required distributions. Um, and so, you know, it's a way to kind of plan long-term as far as, you know, these these taxable distributions that are going to be forced upon you. And it's a way to kind of, you know, control that situation uh, to, to a degree. Yeah. So, but, but Roth 401ks have required distributions? That is correct. But at retirement, you can roll Roth for. Yeah. Roth 401k money to a Roth IRA. And then the Roth IRA currently does not have required distributions until someone, until you die and someone inherits it. Correct. And, 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 you know, and, um, you know, so if you do have a 401k with, with Roth money and and you're taking those required, it is tax free. Um, you know, but it's, but yeah, but it it is going to, it's still forced upon you that you have to take the money out of the Roth. And so you're, you know, if you don't need the money, uh, you you might not want to do that. Um, all right. Anything else on that? I feel like I could, you know, that was pretty tame for me okay. in the Roth section. 
I'll, sa- I'll save all my energy regarding that for the next the Roth and all its beauty show. Right. Whenever we schedule that this year. Um, I wanted to talk about investments and in, in investment choices and how people can make themselves aware of their allocation or their investment strategy inside of a 401k. Um, we just have a few minutes, I guess, to just kind of start this and then we'll, we can finish it up after we take a break. People, there are these, well, first of all, you should at least be aware if you have a 401k, whether it's a current one or an old one from an, from an employer you no longer work for, should at least be aware of how the money is invested. And, and make sure that it's broadly appropriate for you. We want to make sure, you know, if you're a younger investor, for example, that you're not invested in cash or in, you know, a very conservative portfolio. And, you know, on the flip side, if you're an older investor approaching retirement, perhaps, and you're a very aggressive, uh, congratulations, it's been a great time to be aggressive. But situationally, it, you know, maybe time to think about lowering risks. So, you know, if you're approaching or in retirement, so people should at least be aware of how they're invested. And the easiest way to do that is to just look at your statement or, or go onto the website and find a pie chart, find that pie chart that shows you your stock bond ratio. Most statements and web logins will have that like front and center. Look for that little pie. I would say very, very broad guidance. Please confirm this with your financial professional. But I would say if you're like, I don't know, 55 and younger, you should, or 50 and younger, something like that, you should have the the majority of that pie should be in stocks for the most part um, for for you to achieve, hopefully, not guaranteed, but some long-term growth. It's your best opportunity to grow your investments if you have a long period of time. So if we're talking about retirement money and you're under 50 or under 55, generally speaking, might be okay for you to have a majority. And in fact, maybe in your best interest to have majority of that pie chart be in stock investments. If you're maybe in that 55 to 65 range or 50 to 65 or something like that, you should have maybe maybe some sort of a blend. Stocks and bonds is gonna be appropriate for you, 60, 40, 50, 50, something like that. And, and if you're older and or risk averse, then maybe your pie chart should be less than 50% stock. So just some general guidance there, know what's in your pie, know what your pie chart looks like, make sure that that's appropriate for you based on your age and circumstances. If you haven't looked at it in 20 years, might be time to do so. Uh, All right, let us take a break. We're talking about 401ks and 403bs and the like, understanding your 401k, the 411 on 401ks. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. You're listening to McNamara on Money. If you missed part of today's show, you can check out our podcast on the podcast app, McNamara on Money. But we're just taking a quick break. We got 30-ish more minutes and we'll be right back. And we're back. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed, joined this morning by my husband and business partner, Kirk Reed. And we're talking about 401ks and understanding the employer uh, benefit that you hopefully have available to you. Um, Even if you don't have one currently available, uh, maybe some good things in here regarding paying attention to your old 401ks. Um, And uh, let's get into... What were we just talking about? Investments, right? So understanding your pie chart in your 401k, very technical term there. But I do think that's the easiest way for someone to just quickly eyeball it and make sure that it's broadly appropriate. I'll often 
tell clients or new prospective clients to just show with your 401k, just show me your pie chart. Send me a picture of your pie chart. I just at least want to make sure we can get into details later, but I at least want to make sure that it's like not all in cash, for example, which sometimes we see, although we're not seeing that as frequently now, as I would say we did like five or 10 years ago. So what has changed in the 401k industry is that now we have default investments, which I think has been a wonderful change. In the past, very common, in fact, uh, if not always the case, but in the past, default investment in a 401k would be cash, meaning not invested, and the employee would have to opt into an investment strategy or a portfolio or a set of funds, and, and, and oftentimes, that just didn't happen because some people just, they don't, they didn't know what to choose. They, they didn't understand it. They, or they didn't get around to it, you know? And so for a variety of reasons in the past was pretty common to, for us to, you know, kind of stumble upon or meet people that had potentially large balances and retirement plans totally uninvested, which, you know, in bad markets isn't a bad thing, but, you know, for the, the majority of the time we have good to normal markets. So not necessarily a good thing, especially if you're in that strategy for a long period of time. Um, and if it's not your intent, of course. So we don't see that very much anymore because now I don't, I don't know if it's either primarily or always, but at least primarily for the most part, default investments are now these they're called different things, but target date funds or glide path uh, investment strategies. And basically what this is, is the 401 or the investment companies sponsor or holding 401k plans, most if not all, and most of them now, or at least many of them now have these invest. Uh, I guess what we call, what we would call a glide path fund, which just means you're picking it's a diversified investment strategy in and of itself. It's like one mutual fund, but it's diversified in and of itself. And what you do is you pick a year that roughly lines up with when you're at a normal retirement age. So if you're 40 and maybe you'll retire at age 60 to 65, and what are we in 2021 now? So if you're 20 to 25 years out from retirement, you might be looking at a 2045 fund, right? I did that math correctly? Yes. Right? So you want to pick, they're, they're labeled in terms of years, 2025, 20, 2030, 2035, 2040. I think they go all, all the way up to about 2060 right now, or maybe 2065. And what these are, are they, again, they're diversified investment strategies where you just pick this one investment, for example, a target date 2045 fund, the fund itself reduces stock exposure and reduces risk as you get closer to that date that you've chosen. So for example, the 2045 fund, and again, different investment companies do these a little bit differently, but for the most part, a 2045 fund would be aggressive now, 90 to 98% probably stock exposure. So pretty aggressive now. And I would say by what, 2035, 2037, something like that, it's gonna start reducing the stock exposure and, and which lowers risk 
as as you get closer to that year and then by 2045 it's more of a balanced portfolio i don't know 60 40 50 50 something like that and so so it it sort of takes and and that's generally a, a strategy that people would pursue anyway with their investments that they're aggressive while they're younger and then as they get closer to those retirement to that retirement date they lower risk over that period of time. And then in retirement, they end up with some sort of a balanced or conservative tilting strategy anyway. So these are beautiful in that they take that, they, 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 they invest someone's money, in my opinion, fairly prudently, as long as someone is picking the right year that roughly lines up with when they retire. It's just sort of handling the investment strategy and, and managing money and generally speaking, I think a prudent manner for people, again, as long as they're selecting the right year. I, so these have it, become very it, popular. Uh-huh. I think they're great. I think they're, they are they have become the default investment in many 401k plans. So in other words, if an employee just doesn't know or they don't elect something, they're going to be thrown into a, they might be thrown into a, a target date fund that has a year that lines up with probably this person's roughly age 65. And I think that that's a great default, for, in my opinion, better than having default investment cash in someone's 401k, especially for younger people, um, which are many of the people enrolling in 401ks for the new t- for the first time. So I think these are great. You know, Fidelity, for example, they just happen to host a lot of 401k plans. They have the Fidelity Freedom Funds. Vanguard happens to host a lot of 401k plans they have I think theirs are actually called the target re- target date retirement funds or target retire funds um, BlackRock has some you know there's a lot of investment companies that have these and I think that they're awesome you know I think for for especially for small balances where you know keep, don't no need to overcomplicate things I think they're great and I, I've looked at the I don't know if you've done much research on these Kirk but I've looked at I've looked at, you know, stock bond ratios and domestic international exposure and some of these just to compare with our portfolios. And there are definitely differences. But again, I think, you know, roughly speaking, the, the, the level of risk is appropriate, pretty aggressive, younger. I think they ratchet down risk roughly at a period of time when we would as well. Some of the specifics differ in terms of international versus domestic exposure, and that will differ across investment companies as well. But I think they're a great default for people, especially smaller balances. Sometimes when I have a client with a 401k with larger balances, you know, we might do a little bit of diversification and pick some different funds and try to line them up with our portfolios, which we're comfortable with. So, but again, I think that they're, they're awesome. And like, again, for most people, maybe not much of a need to overcomplicate things and do anything different from, from, you know, picking one of these target retirement funds. I, yes. I mean, I think for people that yeah, if you if you're not working with someone and and you don't have the time or the inclination to you know put together a portfolio, I think that they are a good option. Yeah. Um, you know, sometimes I see, but sometimes I see people that have they, you know they have maybe they have a target date fund that they have you know a bunch of their money in or some of their money in, but then they also have some other funds that they've picked and and um, you know and I'm like, well, why, why did you do that? And they're like, I don't know, and yeah. and so like you know it's. You know, so it's it, to me, to me, a stra- you know, 
to put it into a fund, you know, that has like a cohesive strategy and that, you know, that kind of makes sense and that's a strategy. And, but like, you know, if you have some of your money in the 2030 fund and some of it in the 2040, like, I don't, like, I don't really, I can't wrap my head around that. And then, you know, I see that sometimes people do like, oh, I'll just pick a couple of different target day funds and, you know, so. <laughs> oh, so, really? Yeah. And I'm like, I'm like, well, I would just pick the one that is appropriate. And, you know, that way the money's, you know, you know what it's doing. It's all, it's all working together. Um, well, what they might not realize is that right now the 2035 fund probably looks exactly the same as the 2040 fund, as the 2045 fund, as the 2050 fund. They're all likely look, if not exactly, almost exactly the same until probably 10-ish years, maybe 15, but probably 10-ish years before that tart that that date that they've chosen that I think that's when we start to see some changes there otherwise those are all the same mm-hmm. <laughs> so it just has a different name <laughs> yeah. but having said that one will start to get more conservative so- sooner so if they're still in there and they have some they have some money more aggressive later but yeah I think they're a great default I mean 401ks will also have other investment choices mutual funds index funds so we can you know with our clients for example we take a look at the whole list of funds and everyone has different investment choices again under the heading of all 401ks are different the the plan provider the 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 company that sets up the 401k will work with the plan provider the investment professional and put together a list of investment choices there's a finite number of investment choices available in 401ks Um, although fidelity has this thing fidelity is the only company i've seen where when they host a 401k, the, oh, what's it called? Broker, they, brokerage they, link? Yes, thank you, thank you. This is the only time I've seen this. I don't know if other, other companies are doing this. It would have to be a brokerage firm. Um, but Fidelity, for example, which happens to host many 401ks, especially in this area of the world, it's just such a, a local company and, and you know large and well-known and reputable. Uh, I have no affiliation with Fidelity, but I respect them and, and, and I think they do some things well. They offer for, I don't know if it's all 401ks. Again, the employer probably has to opt into this, right? I, I think, I think it, I think it has to be selected. I don't think it's, yeah. I don't, th- I don't think it applies to all Fidelity 401ks. Right. So some Fidelity 401ks will have the 401k component where it's, you have your, your, again, your finite number of investment choices. The employer would work with the financial professional to choose those, but some uh, 401ks through Fidelity opt into, and they have this component called brokerage link, where if the participant wants, if the employee wants to take advantage, I don't know if it's, I think, periodically or when certain balances exceeded, they can slide money over to like a separate account. They call it brokerage link. So they're kind of, I think they're kind of like separating it from the 401k and they're moving it over to a brokerage platform where the employee has a wider variety of investment choices available to them. And I think it's, and when you say wide, I mean, I think it's pretty much the sky's the limit. I mean, I think think it's whatever, whatever whatever you can buy through fidelity is basically an option. Yeah. 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 So, so that's interesting. So that might be some, so for example, if you have a fidelity 401k and you happen to see that term brokerage link somewhere in your either documents or your, uh, when you log into the website, that means that you have the ability. And again, I can't remember if it's maybe on an annual basis, there's an open window, or maybe if it's if dollars exceed a certain balance, I can't remember the specifics or maybe that's, that might actually be plan specific, but it, it is giving employees an opportunity 
to navigate some dollars away from the 401k and again the limited investment choices there and move it over to a fidelity brokerage no taxes to my knowledge no cost for that i have not seen a cost for that but that's interesting because then, yeah it just gives people some broader investment choices and some flexibility to put together a portfolio using investments that are not limited to their particular 401k plan so that's cool and i've never seen another I don't know of another firm that does that. I'm sure they're out there, though. Yeah, I'm just. I was just reading right here, and it says. Um, I guess that's kind of like that's the big player in that space. But it says um, many retirement plans administered by other institutions, such as Charles Schwab, Ascensus, Vanguard, Merrill Lynch, offer similar brokerage quote quote uh, brokerage window options. Okay. okay. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. And that, you know, generally that would be you know, maybe the average the average 401k participant might not how to put together a portfolio using a, a very wide variety of investment choices. I actually think for many people, the, the finite number of investment choices in a 401k generally is not a bad thing because the average 401k participant or the average employee might be intimidated by... 10,000 investment choices and they wouldn't know what to pick. Whereas 401ks, you know, might have five large U.S. stock positions, three international positions, you know, four smaller mid-sized positions, five bond funds, right? So it's, so, so that's, it's not necessarily a bad thing to have a small amount of investments to choose from because it doesn't intimidate people as much. Right. And again, many of 401ks now have these glide path or these target date funds, which are a great default. If you don't know what to do, pick one that has a year that lines up with like roughly age 65 for you. And that's probably pretty appropriate for a long time. Yeah. I was but, just looking, you know, looking at the brokerage link or the, or, or similar options, you know, you know, maybe one benefit there. Well, obviously, you know, we talked about having, you know, a huge array of options to choose from, but but one of those being, you know, they you can get into ETFs and in, in you know low cost, you know, low cost funds that, you know, a lot of times for whatever reason, you know, the standard options for four hundred one ks are usually like mutual funds, you know, not yeah. not necessarily ETFs. I mean, there are some for sure, but um, but if yeah, through this brokerage link, you can buy ETFs, you know, which are you know typically lower cost, you know, index funds if that's something you're looking for um, or you know, if, if you kind of have more comfort or experience, you know, looking for something like that, um, you can find yeah. those there. All right. So we talk about loans. We wanted to spend a few minutes on 401k loans. We've got about 10, 12 minutes left, right? So yep. um, last year was different for many reasons, right? Uh, 401k loans being one of them, but the normal and what we've reverted back to norm here in the world of 401k loans anyway, where again, this is plan specific, whether your employer allows for 401k loans to be taken, not all employers allow that. Employers can put restrictions and make for their 401ks to not allow loans. In other words, encouraging their employees to really save those monies for retirement and not take loans out. So that's plan specific. Some 401ks, many, especially large employers, do allow for loans to be taken from their 401k. The limit is 50, has reverted back now to $50,000 or 50% 
of your account value, whichever is smaller. Right. Right. Yeah. Yes. Okay. I said that correctly. Yep. Right. So 50,000 or 50%, whichever is smaller 2020 for about six months last year, people could take a much higher loan. They could borrow up to a hundred thousand dollars from their 401k if allowed. And it didn't have to meet the 50% requirement either. They could borrow up to a hundred percent of the dollars in their 401k. Again, that was only for about six months last year. I think that was part of the CARES Act, but that window has closed. I don't even think it was for the full calendar year last year that was available. That window has since closed and the, the third stimulus did, did not increase 401k loans again. In fact, the statistics I read on it were that actually not very many Americans took advantage of that higher amounts of 401k loans to be available. I mean, it wasn't like staggering numbers of people that took advantage of that, which is a, a good thing. Uh, yeah. Yeah, not as many people had to. So that was not um, allowed again. So loans are up to 50,000 or 50% of your account value. There is the interest on these from what I've seen is fairly high. And I think purposefully so probably to encourage, uh, discourage, excuse me, people from borrowing for their 401ks. What are, what are the rates you've seen lately? I seven? think I, uh, actually, well, I, I, I've read, I've read around 5% is, okay. is fairly common. Yeah, I could, I, you know, am I correct that it, it, it depends on the dollar amount? Is there? I don't know. I mean, I think, I think they, I think they are to some extent, you know, tied to kind of prevailing interest rates in the world, you know, so they do fluctuate yeah. as, you know, as, as interest rates around the world go up, you know, they will go up yeah. and, and down. Um, so I think, you know, right now with us being in a, you know, a low interest rate environment, I think they're around 5%. So I think five is kind of on the low end. So yeah, they yeah. could certainly be higher uh, like as, as rates climb. Or something like that. Sometimes they they do that. But yeah, so, but these are structured in such a way that, you know, and this isn't something that I've looked into an incredible amount because we don't uh, manage very many 401ks, mostly, mostly simple IRAs for our smaller business clients, but the interest is actually paid to your own account, but there are some tax. So you're kind of like paying yourself the interest, but there are some tax reasons why you wouldn't want to pay interest to yourself in this example, because if you think about the money that originally went into your 401k, it was deductible. Having said that, I'm not sure if you can borrow from Roth 401k money. I've never looked into that, but let's just assume we're talking about someone that just has a straight up traditional deductible 401k. So if you think about this $50,000, well, for example. And I, well, I think, I think maybe you could argue that it's irrelevant because it's a tax-free loan. So, you know, coming from a pre-tax versus a Roth, I mean, yeah, okay, I, I, I don't know if you can borrow from a Roth, but but the interest component. Okay. We yeah. don't, I'm, Oh, this is, this is gonna make me curious. I'm gonna have to look into it. Yeah. Okay. So um, let, yeah, let's assume, let's assume we're talking about a traditional pre-tax 401k. Pre-tax 401k. So like if someone borrows 50,000, for example, from their 401k and they're paying, so that money went in and, you, and it was deductible. You took a deduction on it. You saved some tax money when the money went in. And then in retirement, you're going to pull it out and you're going to pay taxes on every dollar that comes out in retirement. So if you pull out 50,000 in a loan and over time, let's say what you pay it back and you end up paying it, paying back $60,000 because you, you know, it took you a while to pay it back and you're paying interest 
um, along the way and it took you years, let's say, to pay it back. So if you pay, even though you pay yourself back $60,000, that extra $10,000 in that example, you you paid taxes on that money because that was just your regular, um, you don't get a deduction on that money when you pay the interest back to your 401k. So you don't get the deduction, but that money goes back to your 401k and is still taxable to you later when the money comes out of the 401k. So essentially the interest component of a 401k loan is double taxed, right? Right. I explained right. that correctly, yes. right? Yes, yes. So, so again, there are, yeah, it's like, oh, I'm borrowing for myself. Okay, and, no and, worries. And yeah, and, and you're, you're technically you're putting additional funds into the 401k. Right. But there is a kind of a tax whammy there. Yeah. And, you know, different 401ks are set up differently, but I think, but, but when you're paying back your loan, you're also not contributing to your 401k for those, right? So, some, those well, I think, I think some, pl- I think it depends on the plan. I think some, some, some plans require that you pay back the loan first before you can yeah. contribute additional dollars. Other right. plans will allow you to do both. Uh, but you can't you can't just you can't just bypass the loan. You have to be making you know a certain amount of payments to the loan in order to you know to put extra money in towards you know future you know additional contributions. Right, right. So whatever dollars you're using to pay back that loan would otherwise be going into your four hundred one k, right, and and building your nest egg and growing hopefully by by investment dollars. So. Right. Um, you're, you're, if it, you know, again, if it's a large loan and it takes you years to pay that back, that's years potentially of, of missed actual contributions to loans. So, well, you know, yeah. So yeah, not only that, but the, but you know, but in the, in your, uh, in the scenario with, you know, you borrow 50,000, that's $50,000 of investments that is not, not working for you. Right. So, um, you know, so 401k loans, they can be handy in a pinch, um, yeah. but you know, I guess my, you know, my take on it is that they should be towards the bottom end of options as far as, you know, if, if you need money. Um, I certainly wouldn't, you know, be taking advantage of them for any any other reason that you, than you truly need the money and, you know, you have a true hardship, you know, issue. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because, yeah, it's, you know, the money's not invested. Uh, you got, you know, the interest has some tax, you know, issues. Uh, plus, yeah, not being able to contribute additional funds, you know, for potentially a period of time. That all kind of adds up, you know, it has a long-term, you know, detrimental effect um, yeah. that you got to be aware of. You know, one other thing I was going to, point out was, you know, so 401k loans, you know, typically only an option when you're employed. Uh, You know, once you separate from the company, that that option usually goes away. Um, And and the other thing is, if you're in the, if you have an existing loan and you leave the company or, or perhaps asked to leave the company, you have to get that money back in in a, in a relatively short period of time or else they're going to, they're going to, they're just going to consider that a taxable distribution. Uh, and so, you know, if you're, if your employment status is questionable, um, you know, another reason to, you know, probably, you know, maybe not take a loan, uh, if you don't think you might, might be able to pay it back in a timely manner. Yeah. And you certainly don't want to roll a 401k away from your employer while there is a loan outstanding because that would become a taxable event. The amount of the outstanding loan becomes taxable to you. It turns into a distribution if you roll it while there's an outstanding balance because you hadn't paid the balance back. 
Um, so I think mo- even if you're separated from service, I think, I don't know if it's that's a blanket assumption, but I know that some providers will still allow you to pay back the loan, even if you're not employed, pay back the loan and I, then do the rollover. So just yes. be cognizant of. Yeah, I think once you're separated, you can, you can, you can take outside funds and, and, yeah. and, and deposit those. But, but I know that there is kind of a condensed window where that needs to be done. I, I don't, and I, I, and I don't know what the exact time frames are. Yeah, that might be plan specific. Yeah. Again, we were talking in pretty generic terms today, but there's no other way to get around it because all four, because they're not all created equal. All 401ks are a little bit different and it's, you know, a lot of them are just, a lot of these things are just plan specific. So, um, you know, uh, good to ask questions, read the documents, talk to your HR, you know, understand how your 401k works and what's available to you. Maybe check into if a Roth 401k is available to you if you're at all curious about that. I think that's a great thing for many, many people to take advantage of. Music means it's time to go. That was crazy fast. You've been listening to McNamara on Money. If you missed today's shows, we talked about understanding your 401k, the 411 on 401. We always turn these shows into our podcast. You can check the podcast out for McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara Reed, joined today by my husband, Kirk Reed. You can find us at McNamaraFinancial.com. I hope everyone has a lovely weekend and stays well. And we'll see you next time. Bye bye.